Thank you so much, Isaac, for reading to us there. And can I add my welcome to you all? It's great to see you this morning here as we gather to worship God. As Peter said, we're going to be spending the next few weeks looking at this wonderful chapter of God's Word and thinking about the joy of our hope as Christians, the joy of resurrection. And this morning we're going to be thinking, can I really believe, can I really believe in this hope. Let's pray before we spend some time looking at these verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it tells us of matters of first importance. And we pray this morning that you would fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and you would fill us with a love for him through what we look at this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I also say a really warm welcome to those who are watching on the live stream. It's great to have you joining us as well. Some of you may have read the book by Yuval Noah Harari. It's a bestseller on the history of humankind. And in that book, speaking about religion, he sneeringly says these words. You could never convince a monkey to give you a banana by promising him limitless bananas after death in monkey heaven. He's trying to say that Christianity and world religion is just wishful thinking. And this morning, that's the question we're going to try and answer. Is Christianity just wishful thinking? Is there really any hope for the future? As Paul turns in 1 Corinthians 15 to the topic of Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, that's the question he's seeking to answer. And even if you are a Christian here this morning, you may well go through life and wonder to yourself, have I really been duped? Can I really believe what I read? What about the doubts that I feel in my heart? Is Christianity believable? And this morning we're going to answer that in two ways, just two points, but if you're good at algebra, you'll notice this morning that one plus one plus applications equals 13. But here we go. Is Christianity believable? Firstly, this. Absolutely yes. Christianity is believable. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve, and on. Now, most scholars have come to agree that these verses, verses 3 to 7, form part of an early Christian creed. In fact, the New Testament professor from Durham University, James Dunn, says this, We can be entirely confident that this was a summary of Christian belief that was formulated within months of Jesus' death. These words were doing the rounds when people who were alive at the time could have discredited them. And Paul is saying to us this morning, the events of Christianity, the central events of Christianity, took place in the real world. They were real events that are central, testable, real, and definite. We're not dealing with wishful thinking this morning. We are dealing with events that took place in time and space. 
as the American novelist Flannery O'Connor said, if it's a symbol, I say to hell with it. If it's a symbol, I say to hell with it, because Christianity is based on real events. And here's six reasons why we can trust these central events. Firstly, this. The early Christians weren't gullible. They weren't primitive. The very fact that Paul had to write this chapter shows that he was writing to skeptics, to people who weren't easily duped. Read the accounts of the resurrection in the New Testament, and you see that those events were unlooked for. They convey a sense of something without precedent, something which brings your jaw to the floor. The people of the first century weren't primitive. Indeed, as N.T. Wright says, for Jews, the idea of an individual being resurrected in the middle of history while the rest of the world continued on burdened by sickness, decay, and death was inconceivable. Jesus' resurrection wasn't wish fulfillment. It was surprising. In fact, it was more surprising than Mr. Darcy turning out to be a man of noble character. It wasn't wish fulfillment. They weren't gullible. But secondly, it also wasn't a fabrication. Do you notice how twice in those central verses, Paul says that Jesus died according to the scriptures and he was raised according to to the scriptures. Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't plan B. It wasn't made up by the disciples to make them look better. It was all part of God's plan. It wasn't as if Jesus died and then the disciples thought, well, we need to do something to persuade people. It wasn't as if they were walking around saying, they heard that Jesus died, but I think I got away with it. No, this surprised them but it was part of God's plan. Thirdly, historical record tells us that Jesus definitely died. You may have wondered why Paul included in verse 4 that Jesus was buried as being a central part of Christian belief. It is central because it's essential that Jesus died and spent time in the tomb so that he really did defeat death and rise to newness of life in a physical body. Non-Christian historians testify to it too. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says this, when Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified. I wonder if anyone in here knows who the Roman emperor was when Jesus died. It was Emperor Tiberius. He's mentioned in 10 sources within a century of his death. In the same time period, Jesus is mentioned in 42 historical sources. The history of Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't rest on insecure and shaky foundations. Fourthly this, Jesus definitely died. He also definitely appeared outside his tomb. Read through the gospel accounts and the rest of the New Testament And it tells us that Jesus appeared in Judea, in Galilee, in the city and in the countryside. He appeared indoors and outdoors at all times of the day. He appeared on a hillside and by a lake to groups of women, to groups of men, to individuals, and even to up to 500 people at one time. He was found sitting, walking, talking, eating, and always speaking 
to people. This wasn't people seeing things. There were so many accounts of a living, breathing, walking, talking Jesus who had defeated death. And so Paul can say to us in verse 6, after that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. He's saying, go and check it out. They can tell you whether this is right or not. Jesus definitely appeared outside his tomb. Fifthly, these events of Jesus' death and resurrection were life-transforming. Why does he specifically mention in verse 7 James? Well, read through the Gospels and you'll see that James, the brother of Jesus, was an unbeliever during Jesus' ministry. He was a skeptic. And yet, he ended up functioning as the leader in the church in Jerusalem. And in AD 62, was stoned to death for his faith. The news of Jesus' death and resurrection was life-transforming, even for Paul. He says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul definitely wasn't a believer when Jesus died and rose again. In fact, he was fully opposed to Jesus on the road to persecute Christians. Only something supernatural could change his mind. The message of Christianity, of Jesus' death and resurrection, was so compelling that it transformed all kinds of lives. And finally, Paul says this. Christianity is believable because it is what has been believed in all places, everywhere, by all kinds of people, at all times. In verse 11, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. The gospel the Corinthians heard was announced by Paul, but it wasn't peculiar to him. Go around the world and throughout history, and this is what Christians believe. Regardless of whether they're disposed to believe it or not, this is the message that brings down tyrants, that transforms community and brings life. Is Christianity believable? Absolutely yes. The evidence is compelling. But secondly this morning, is Christianity believable? No. No, it's not. The message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is much more than that. Christianity is believable, yes, but it's also unbelievable. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are an unembarrassed supernaturalist. We believe in things that just shouldn't happen. The eternal God who made all things became a zygote in the womb of a virgin. It doesn't make sense. Christianity is far more than believable. It's unbelievable. So can I say to you this morning, that's good news for us. There are things that we aren't meant to fully understand. Just embrace and rejoice in. Three things in particular from these verses. Christianity is about the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, for I received 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. The God whom we have disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, dishonored, and belittled, chose of his great goodness to forgive you and me. When Jesus died, it was as if he was interposing himself between us and the fatal power of sin. He absorbed the shame, the curse, the guilt of sin and set us free. It's unbelievable that God would do that for people like you and people like me. For those who were there at the time, it may well have looked like the obliteration of love, an annihilation of life, an extermination of goodness. In short, Jesus' death might have looked like the total eclipse of God, and yet it was in fact the dawn of new life. God in Jesus was reconciling the world to himself. He was holding out his arms to us in love. Christianity is unbelievable because God loves you. He loves you and he loves me. And that should cause us to be lost in wonder, love and praise. Why else is Christianity unbelievable? Because secondly, Christianity involves the undoing of death. Paul tells us not only that Jesus died for our sins, but that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus didn't remain in the tomb, but instead bankrupted death, and the resurrection was God's amen to the saving work that God did in Christ. He paid for our sins with his life, and as someone says, with the resurrection we know the check cleared. Christianity is unbelievable because it brings about the undoing of death. I read somewhere this week that Hallmark Cards has put a ban on including the word death on any of their cards, not even sympathy cards. Because here's the thing, when it comes to death, this world has nothing to offer. This is what Matthew McCulloch says. Modern medicine is to death what a comb-over is to a boarding scalp. We may shield the reality for a time, but at some point the comb-over is no more than a monument to the power of baldness. We cannot do anything in the face of death. And yet Paul tells us this morning, Jesus has been raised. And the use of the Greek perfect tense indicates the ongoing result of a one-off event. Some of us in here know firsthand the cold clasp of death, don't we? Jesus' resurrection indicates twilight in the kingdom of death and sunrise in the kingdom of life. Death may have thought it had the final word when it put Jesus in the tomb. 
but he undid death. He undid death, and we know that death has had its day. It can do its hellish worst to us, and it won't ultimately harm us. For those of us who've known the cold clasp of death, Jesus' resurrection is twilight in that kingdom and sunrise in the kingdom of life. It's unbelievable, but it's true. And here's the third reason why Christianity is unbelievable. Because no one is left behind. No one in this message of death and resurrection is left behind. Not even Paul, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, the arch enemy of Jesus, had his life redefined around a Messiah who was more full of grace than he was of sin. Are you sitting here this morning and thinking, God can't do anything with the wreck? that I've made of my life. Paul's life was a bigger wreck and Jesus' resurrection transformed it. He uses strong language in verse 8 as one abnormally born or quite literally as one miscarried. Paul was the last person who you'd expect to have been transformed by this but no one is left behind. God is powerful enough to work against the calendars and clocks of this world. No matter what you've done, he can turn back the hands of time and bring life into your broken life. The ongoing reality of Jesus' resurrection means that he now lives and invites us into his life. We can say with Elvis Presley, we can put our hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. No one is left behind. Is Christianity believable? Absolutely yes. But also absolutely no. It's more than that. It is unbelievable that God, who made all things, who we have turned our back on, would love us so much that he would send his son to suffer the humiliation and agony of death on a cross so that we need not be left behind. Let's finish with four applications because you may be saying, well, that's great, but what about me? Can I believe? Can I really believe in these things? Can I commit myself to these things? Here's four things for us to think about. Firstly, this. Belief in this Jesus is the only way to life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope you can see even in this short time that the truth about Jesus doesn't rest on shaky foundations. Jesus is firm. He's secure. You can entrust yourself to him. Christianity isn't speculation this morning. It demands coherent consideration. Have you done that? Can I say, if you look to Jesus, you will find that he will never 
let you down. Secondly, this. If you believe this morning, if you are a Christian, hold fast to that belief. Paul says in verse 2, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. What are you doing this morning to hold fast to that truth? As we emerge from lockdown, how will you hold fast to that truth about Jesus? Has the last year made you lazy and complacent? Has it made church less important in the rhythm of your week? Is there any resource to help us hold fast that we're currently neglecting or forgetting? But here's the thing. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a Christian for over 20 years. The challenge to hold fast is as true for me as it is for the youngest believer. Have I allowed myself to become cynical? I've heard it all before. I know it's true. I've believed for all these years. Am I relying on previous experiences of God's grace? Or am I searching again to be lost in the unbelievable truth of Jesus and his death and resurrection? If you believe this morning, hold fast, cling on to Jesus. But as you do that, remember this. Even your belief is all of God's grace. You might be saying this morning, well, James, I've come to, the, to Oxford and found that the only thing that's being tested is my faith. It is so hard to believe in these things. There are things that I read in the Bible that I just don't understand. There's a morality that's promoted that is so difficult to cling on to. And Paul says to the Corinthians, I received and passed on to you what is of first importance. The New Testament doesn't specify quality of faith, just the object of faith. So this morning, I can't offer you answers to every single question, but that's okay. God didn't give us an answer. He didn't just send down a piece of paper saying, here's my answers to your questions. He sent us Jesus. And this morning, that is what we need. Not to have everything straightened out, to have all our ducks in a row. It is to see Jesus and to hold on to him, to cling to him. In verses 3 to 8, Jesus is basically the subject of all the verse. Because Jesus is what counts for us this morning. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the fact that Jesus Christ died is more important than the fact that I will die. And the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the sole ground of my hope that I too will be raised from on the day of judgment. Our salvation is from outside of ourselves. I found, find salvation not in my life story, but only in the story of Jesus Christ. You may have lots of questions this morning, but are you looking with your weakness to Jesus? I'm not a Christian because I have answers to everything. Absolutely 
not. I'm a Christian because by God's mercy, I have come to see that Jesus died in my place. He secured my forgiveness. I have tasted and seen his love for me. When that happens, all the other questions find their true perspective. St. Anselm said this, Credo ut intelligam. That's for Clara, who did A-level Latin. Apologies for my pronunciation. I believe so that I may understand. I believe so that I may understand. Look to Jesus, and he will give you clarity in your thinking. Faith in Jesus is difficult in today's society, but that's always been the case. That's why when a man came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9 with a a son afflicted by a demon, he didn't just say, Lord, I have 100% faith in you. He said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus didn't send him away to strengthen his faith. Jesus healed his son immediately. To be a Christian is to say, I cannot tell. I cannot tell X, Y, and Z, but this I know. I cannot tell why this thing happened in my life. I cannot tell why I have to say to this person that they need to change this aspect of their life. But this I know, God loves me. He has loved me with an everlasting love. The Dutch Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper said, the reason I know God won't stop loving me is because his love for me didn't even have a beginning. He has loved me with an everlasting love. You can't go back far far enough to find the beginning of God's love. He has loved you with an everlasting love. I cannot tell lots of things, but this I know. Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And let's finish with this. Belief in this Jesus changes everything. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God, it was with me. By Jesus' death and resurrection, God redeems the worst parts of us. You might think this morning that you can't be used by God because of your past. And can I say to you this morning, the grace of God can overcome the greatest failure. But not only that, the grace of God supplies strength for today and produces obedience in us. Can I really believe? Why would you want to do anything else? Why on earth would you want to do anything other than look to Jesus who so loved you that he went to his death on a Roman cross and then bankrupted death and undid its power in your life if only you would believe in him. Look to him. He will answer the questions of your heart slowly but surely. Hold fast to Jesus. One of the early church fathers went to his death 
aged, I think, in his 80s. And as he was being dragged out to uh, be burnt at the stake, he said, I have followed my Jesus for 70 years and never once, never once has he let me down. If you're a Christian this morning, when you come to your death, that will be your testimony too. Never once has he let you down and he will hold your hand as you go through the veil, signaling twilight in the kingdom of death and sunrise in the kingdom of light. Please believe in him. There is nothing impossible. Let's turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you that in him we see that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Help us this morning, we pray, to hold fast to him. We say again, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In Jesus' name.